would have me to say and open the eyes of each one of our spirits that we might see and know who we are and what belongs to us and your great plan for your church. We bless you, Holy Father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Well, let's start with some scriptures that we've been using for some time, and that is Revelation chapter 12 and Matthew chapter 24. Revelation chapter 12 gives us an overview of God's dealing with the devil, past, present, and future. And instead of reading the whole chapter like I have been doing, I'm just going to pick some verses out for the sake of time. So let me start with verse 7, Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was there found any place, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. Notice that phrase, which deceiveth the whole world. And he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. I like that so much I want to read the rest of it again. <laughs> For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Now skip down with me to uh, verse 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman. The woman is a representation of uh, Israel. But it's not just talking about the nation of Israel or the present-day people of Israel. It's talking about those who have conquered by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and that's the church. So it says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keepeth the commandments of God and has the testimony of Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.29 says, And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So it's talking about a war against the church. So the, the reason that I keep pointing out and keep going back to Revelation chapter 12 is that it shows us with everything going on around our country, everything going on in the world that we live in, it's about the, the battle between good and evil. It's not the battle between left and right. It's not the battle between Democrats and Republicans. It's about the battle between good and evil. Now, in Matthew chapter 24, turn with me there, if you will. Jesus is talking to the disciples about the end times. We'll start in verse 1 just for context. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives... The disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Now notice he didn't say don't get deceived by the devil. He said, Take heed that no man deceive you. When the Bible says, as we just read in Revelation chapter 12, when the Bible says that Satan deceives the whole world, he deceives the world through the, through the influence of men. Now, I'm not sure how this lines up with Webster's Dictionary. I didn't have time to look at it or check it out. But what is deceiving? What is deceit? The act of deceiving is to hide the truth. To hide the truth. So if he's deceiving the whole world, he's hiding the truth through his operation through men on the earth. The only authority, the only power the devil has is through human beings. If everybody on the face of the earth refused to be influenced by the devil, what could he do? 
he would have no power. There's nothing that he could do. So Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. I used to think that was just his introduction to the things like the earthquakes and the pestilences and all that kind of stuff that he's about to say. But I came to realize that that's the important point that he starts with. Take heed that no man deceive you. Verse 5, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. We've talked about this before, but it's such an important point, I can't help but go over it again and again. And that is, who's going to be taken in? Who in the church was ever going to be taken in or deceived by somebody saying, well, that Jesus that you believed in that changed your life, that's not the real way to God. I'm Christ. Who's going to fall for that? Nobody's going to go for that. So when he's talking about I am Christ, many shall come saying I am Christ and shall deceive many. Could it be that he's talking about a shift in what the church believes that Jesus does or would do based on the current situation that we live in? Specifically, what if the church begins to preach that the will of God is now to combat racism? What if the church started preaching what's commonly known as, what is it, cultural canceling culture? Is that the phrase that, that they use? I'm sorry, I went blank. Or social justice stuff. Folks, there's a lot of the church that's doing that already. There's a lot of the church that has shifted their focus to this social justice stuff. Notice it says, and many shall come in my name. Coming in the name of Jesus means claiming to be sent by God for a specific purpose. Many shall come in my name, saying God sent them, in other words, saying I am Christ and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Folks, we live in a day of rumors. We might also identify it as fake news. Well, that's what it is. People putting off lies as if it was the truth. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation. This word nation is the word ethnos. It's talking about race riots and race wars. For race shall rise against race and kingdom against kingdom. This word kingdom means countries as we would understand them, countries against countries. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Now Jesus is talking to the church. He's talking to the disciples, answering their questions, but he's talking about the foundations or talking to the people that become the foundations for the church. How do you combat racism? How do you change a person or people or even a country when it comes to racism? Folks, there's only one way, and that is you have to get racist people saved. But even that's not a guarantee, because you know as well as I do, know that a lot of people get saved and never develop themselves in the love of God. And racism is just hatred. So how are you going to fix that? Well, Jesus said that it wouldn't be fixed. He said you'd be hated of all nations. That means if you do everything right, you're still going to have nations that hate you and claim that you're racist. You'll be hated of all nations. You'll be hated of all races. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. 
and many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the state or the condition of the church, not the world. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Folks, Jesus is saying sin would abound. But Paul wrote to us by the Holy Ghost and said, Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Now here's one of the things that that means. Paul talked about the grace of God being upon him for the ministry office that he stood in. So if we take what he said about where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. If we plug that into what Jesus is telling us about the end, then we could very correctly conclude that the power of God on the church will increase. That's what it just said here. Was it verse 14? And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness. For a witness means with a testimony of power. And then shall the end come. Now I'm going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Paul tells us about the last days. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. One meaning of this word perilous is strength reducing. Strength reducing. In the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, this word fierce means savage, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Now, folks, this thing that he's identifying, the behavior and the attitudes in the hearts of the people, he's talking primarily to the church about the church. What unsaved group or people has a form of godliness but not denies the power thereof? See, when he talks about having a form of godliness, he's talking about the church. He's talking about the attitudes of people in the church. Not no question about it, the same attitudes are going to be in people in the world in the last days. And we could certainly identify each one of those as in operation now. But he's talking about the church. He's talking about the state or the condition of the church. Now, when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he wrote to them about the catching away. He told them about the devil's purpose and his goal and his desire to have one world government. That's what the Antichrist is all about. But Paul identifies that the Antichrist, the only thing keeping the Antichrist from being revealed is the, the power of the church in the world. Just the fact that we are here keeps the devil from doing his greatest work concerning the Antichrist. And Paul talks about there being, a uh, King James says, falling away. He used a word that could mean to fall or to catch up. It's the, the singular phrase, the foundation phrase that the church gets the doctrine of the rapture from. But Paul used a word that could mean falling away as far as doctrine or, or relationship with God is concerned, apostasy. Or it can be used as the church uses it, the catching up or the catching away of the church. Now, Paul used a word that could mean both falling away and being caught up in the rapture. He didn't have to. There are separate words that he could have used if he meant one instead of both. And the fact that he used a word that can be, that is defined by both falling away from sound doctrine and being caught up into heaven. That has to be a signal to us that it does or could mean both of them according to what Paul is telling them by the Holy Ghost. Well, the things that we just read 
as far as the attitudes and the behavior of the people in the earlier verses of this chapter would certainly qualify as apostasy or falling away from sound doctrine. If we look back and remember what we read in Matthew chapter 24, people changing what they believe about God's purpose for the church in the earth, that would certainly be falling away. That would certainly be an apostasy or apostatizing, if that's a word. And it all comes down to the knowledge of the truth. It all comes down to one simple thing, and that is, is the truth hidden from you or are your eyes open to it? Now, we see very clearly things that are taking place lining up with these things. Just a week or two ago, the Supreme Court issued a ruling that allows casinos to stay open with pretty much as many people as they want, crowds up to 500. But churches can't have more than 50. So we thought we'd put the slot machines over there Is that not ridiculous? Have you ever been in a casino? Well, I better not ask that. Have you seen movies of casinos where people are huddled up around craps tables? And that's somehow supposed to be safer than being in church. Why in this time would the Supreme Court issue a ruling that specifically targets churches. Why? Why start that fight? Why not just treat everybody equally? If you're going to allow one group, meaning casinos, to have certain benefits, why can't the church have the same benefits under the same circumstances? Why start that fight? Because it's the time of the end. Did you see the, uh, the article a couple of days ago about the uh, producer of one of the shows on MSNBC? Let me read to you just a little bit of this. The headline is MSNBC producer quits saying, we block diversity of thought and amplify friends' voices in events. She wrote an open letter about her resignation. I won't read the whole thing, but I want to read it just a little bit for you to, to hear what happened. July 24th was my last day at N MSNBC. I don't know what I'm going to do exactly, but I simply couldn't stay there anymore. My colleagues are very smart people with good intentions. The problem is the job itself. It forces skilled journalists to make bad decisions on a daily basis. She then quoted an anonymous, successful, and insightful TV veteran who said, we are the, a cancer. This is some leader in the media talking about the media. We are a cancer, and there is no cure. But if you could find a cure, it would change the world. In other words, they know they're lying to you. She goes on to say, and I won't read it, but she goes on to say that the original focus was to blame Trump for everything that was going on with the pandemic. But then when more information came out and more studies and research and things were done, instead of following the science, they stayed on the political aspect and the political angle. Folks, the media is lying to us. And they know they're lying to us. Now, if the devil's purpose is to hide the truth, they certainly got one industry willing to go along with him. Now, concerning this virus, this coronavirus, I know not everybody wants to hear me talk about this stuff. But how can you not talk about what's going on around you? Thanks, 
Here's another article. The headline is, Massive International Study Shows Countries with Early HCQ had, uh, Use Had 79% Lower Mortality Rate. The HCQ is the hydro hydroxychloroquine medicine. And it says, it identifies very clearly that the countries, most of them in Europe, that have used this medication against the coronavirus has 79% lower mortality rates. Now, here's what that means. According to the study, America has over 150,000 deaths from the coronavirus at this point, I think. That number could have been reduced by almost 80%. In other words, instead of the 150,000 uh, 150, count for deaths, deaths should be in the area of, of 30,000. Now, why in the world does the medical community after hearing about studies like this, why don't they jump up and down and say, great, we found something that works? There was a group of 10 or 12 doctors. They called themselves frontline doctors. Who came out a couple of weeks ago talking about the success that they were having with this new drug, although it wasn't really new and it's cheap, it's readily available. Something that's been around for a long time, apparently. Why didn't the medical community jump up and down saying, great, we've got something that works now? But instead, the media had to denigrate and try to destroy the lives of the doctors that were making the claims. Folks, there's got to be something else going on. And when they tell you we're in this together, we're not. Now, we could speculate what was behind this. And remember, Paul told Timothy that the love of money is the root of all evil. A lot of the organizations that are stifling people's thoughts and opinions and points of view, like Google and YouTube and Facebook, most of those entities, those corporations, have a hand in the next vaccine that's being proposed. You know that Dr. Fauci, that little bitty guy, He owns 50% of the patent for the vaccine that they're trying to get approved. Billions of dollars worth. Google, the parent company of Google, which is Alphabet Inc., has a separate pharmaceutical division as a part of their conglomerate. Amazon is specifically not even behind the scenes, not even hiding it, but they are specifically doing away with the promoting of any book that has an anti-vaccine position. Folks, there's something going on that goes much further than just what we can see. The devil's hiding the truth. And he's got plenty of people on his side to help him. Now, I've been saying for the last several weeks, talking about these face mask things, that there's, no, there's been no study done to show that their effectiveness is worthwhile. But that doesn't seem to be the case. At this time, there are studies that have been done that have shown that it was effective. But you've got other European studies 
that had been done that identify that the negative health risks of wearing these masks is much greater than the preventiveness that it would provide for the virus. I'm getting to the point where I would rather hear somebody from Europe talking about what's what than people in our own country. Now, the Bible says that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. In other words, people are destroyed when the truth is hidden from them. And that is the devil's purpose, is to hide the truth. If he can't hide the truth completely, then he certainly obscures the truth. You see that in the body of Christ concerning the different positions that people take regarding Jesus being our healer and not just our Savior. The Bible couldn't be clearer that Jesus died for our sins and our sicknesses. The same verses that we use, that the church uses, to identify that Jesus is the Savior and is the Christ, also identify and speak to the fact that he took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes were healed. Same verse. Jesus told his disciples, take heed of what you hear. Take heed what you hear. Did you see that the Portland mayor this last week condemned the rioting and the, and the violence in his city? Can I ask you something? How is it that that makes news? What idiot would not condemn it when it happened? But nowhere has the Democratic Party accepted or acknowledged the rioting and the violence is taking place as an evil thing. So what happens? Well, there are calls for defunding the police. What's that going to do? It's going to increase the lawlessness. Jesus said, the thief comes not but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Anything that kill, kills and steals and destroys is of the devil. So at least in that way, in that point, the Democratic Party is a willing participant in siding in with the devil. Now remember what Jesus talked to Peter about in Matthew chapter 16, when he asked, who do men say that I am? The disciples said, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah or, or one of the other prophets, Isaiah or one of the other prophets. Jesus said, who do you say I am? Peter answered for the group and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And then he talks about that knowledge that he is the Christ being the foundation for building the church. And the gates of hell should not prevail against it. But right on the heels of that, Jesus began to tell them plainly and openly about how that he was going to Jerusalem very soon. And during that time in Jerusalem, he'd be crucified. But then he was going to be raised from the dead. It said he plainly taught them that. No parables, just straight facts. And it says that Peter approached him and said, Not so, Lord. These things aren't going to happen to you. And Jesus responded and said, Get behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me. Now here's Peter talking about the inspiration of the Holy Ghost when he recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah. But right on the heels of that, he allows himself to be influenced by the devil. I could certainly understand, I'm sure we all can certainly understand that he didn't want those things to happen to Jesus. But want them to happen or not, it was going to happen. And it needed to happen. And so when Peter spoke out of his emotions, I assume it was from his emotions, what else would it be? But when he spoke from his emotions to say that it wouldn't be the way that Jesus' word would not come to pass the way that he was saying, Jesus identifies to him and to us that that's how you take sides with the devil. 
We've got a lot of the church that are taking sides with the devil. Did you hear what the Satanic Church of America is doing? There's an organization called the Satanic Church of America. They have, with the help of the uh, ACLU, a fine group of people, I'm sure. But they filed a lawsuit against the federal government. Here's why. They say that the murder and the dismemberment of babies is a part of their ritual worship. And so any restrictions on abortion robs them of their First Amendment rights. I'll give them this. They're the only group in the country that's calling abortion for what it is. They call it murder. Now, at the present time, this may change down the road, I guess. But at the present time, there's only one of the two political parties that support that. So to side with the political party that's on the side of abortion is siding with the devil to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, that doesn't mean the, the Christians that are supporting or, or joining sides with it it doesn't mean they're of the devil, but it does mean that they're allowing the devil's influence to deceive them, to hide the truth from them. Folks, the problem with America is not that Christians don't vote. It's that you can't get all the Christians voting for the right one. And when I say the right one, I don't mean the character of the individual necessarily. I mean the ones that take side against the devil with God. Now look with me to John chapter 8. In John chapter 8 beginning in verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Folks, the knowledge of the truth acted on always brings freedom. It always brings freedom. It always brings freedom. What's going on around us? Did you hear that California is not the only state that's releasing people from prison to make sure that they don't get the coronavirus. I have two questions. First of all, how in the world does that help? But second question may be the more important one. If the face masks are so important and so necessary, why instead of releasing prisoners, didn't they just give them face masks? But you've got these, country, these uh, states that are run by Democratic governors and they're all operating the same way that are releasing these prisoners. Virginia is a little bit ahead of, of California, I guess. But over the last several days, two of the people that they released, both convicted rapists, the one killed the accuser after he got out, he murdered the accuser, the one that brought the charges against him. The second situation was where the guy kidnapped, raped, and murdered a young lady after he was released from prison so that he wouldn't get the coronavirus. I'm sure we'll be hearing more and more of those stories. Because the greatest predictor of future violence is past violence. And a lot of these guys that they're turning loose from prison are violent offenders. So we're in for a lot of things getting worse before they get better. So what are you listening to? Take heed that you be not deceived. Take heed what you hear. What you listen to is what you're going to believe. 
Jesus said the truth can be found in his word. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Folks, if you know the truth about healing, then you can use the word of God as medicine to protect yourselves against any and every virus, pestilence, plague, or whatever. If you stay in the word, you'll learn the truth about what's going on around us to a much greater degree than just listening to some news commentator tell you what you ought to believe. Folks, there's never been a time where the knowledge of the word was more important than it is today. If you're not a regular reader of your Bible, become one. There's two things that I would recommend to you in this time, these last days, in this fight between good and evil, specifically against the church. And that is read your Bible every day. It really doesn't matter how much you read because when you start reading it, you'll want to read more. The second thing that goes hand in hand with reading your Bible is to begin to meditate in it. Reading the Bible is good for information, but you only get the Word of God written on the table of your heart. It only really sinks down into your spirit, becomes a part of your spirit when you, uh, when you meditate in the Word of God, which means speak the Word of God to yourself. God told Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, this book of the law, meaning the word of God, shall not depart out of your mouth. Now, how do you keep something from departing out of your mouth? You keep saying it. So he says, meditate in the word of God that you may observe to do all that is written therein. For then you shall make your way prosperous and you shall have good success. It's interesting that God said, you make your way prosperous. He's giving you the means to make your way prosperous by providing his word to us. But what you do with it or don't do with it determines the results that you get. Look with me to Philippians chapter 4. Verse 6, Paul said, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Folks, these perilous days aren't going to get better. These strength-reducing times, these strength-reducing things that take place around us is designed by the devil to make you afraid. Because if he can make you afraid, he can govern your activity or your behavior. But Paul says by the Holy Ghost not to be careful, not to be anxious, not to be fretful about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you know what the peace that passes understanding is? It's being in such a state of calm and tranquility with everything going on around you that it surprises you that you're not worried about it. It's when we look at situations around us and think, you know, maybe I should be concerned about that, but I'm really not. Where you can't explain when everybody else is losing their minds over stuff You can't explain why you're not. You just know you're not. Amen. So be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. 
And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. Notice God puts the truth first. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, what you think on is what you're meditating in. Meditation, according to the Word of God, is not like some Eastern religion something where you sit with your legs crossed and hum to yourself, try to empty your mind. Bible meditation is filling your mind with the truth of His Word. So the Bible tells you what to think on. It tells you the criteria for things that are worthy of your attention. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, some things are true, but they're not lovely. So that doesn't meet the criteria. Some things are true, but they're not worthy of praise. So that doesn't meet the criteria. We're supposed to think on the things that meet the criteria of all of these that are identified. You're always safe with thinking on things that the Bible says belongs to you because you're a child of God. And that's how you activate the equipment, the power in the name of Jesus to put you over in life. Some people hear the faith message or the so-called faith message. It's really just the word of God. If you're hearing the word of God, then faith is a byproduct automatically. But some people hear the mechanics of faith and they think, okay, well, I'm just going to start saying stuff. But they're not meditating on what they're speaking. They're not meditating on the, the truth that Jesus is the healer, for example. So it has no opportunity to really take root on the inside of them. They just make a vain attempt at confessing the word. They don't continue to confess the word. They just say the one-time prayer, perhaps, and then complain that it doesn't work. Folks, the word of God that works in your life is the word that comes from inside you, not from the page of the book. And there's only one way you can get the word of God, the truth of God's word, or the power of God's word off of the page of your Bible and into your heart, and that is by confessing what it says. In other words, you are healed to the degree that you say you're healed. You are delivered to the degree that you say you're delivered. You're free from fear to the degree that you say you're free from fear. That's the eternal principle of God. God said to Moses to tell the children of Israel, as they have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto them. The only thing God has to work with in your life is what you speak. So you cannot overemphasize the importance of confession. You just can't. It's a sad thing, but so many Christians only think of confession in one regard, and that is confession of sins. But the other side of confession is really what puts you over in life. Confessing the truth of God's word over yourself. Then it takes root on the inside of your heart. And it becomes the foundation for speaking the word with power. And that's the only way that it works. But it always works when put in practice. It always works. Jesus said, if you know my word, if you continue in my word, excuse me, then you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. If you continue in my word, if you continue in my word. 
Folks, there's never been a more important time in the history of mankind for the church to find out who we really are and for the church to stand up and be who Jesus made us to be. I don't think we can expect the news media to turn things around. I don't think we can expect anybody that's working in league with the devil to stop hiding the truth from us. But the Bible tells us to know the truth. That means we're going to have to undertake some effort on our part to find out the truth. There's a proverb, there's a scripture in Proverbs that says something like this. It says, the first side of the story you hear you think is right. But then the second side, the other side of the story comes and proves you as to what's true. I've pretty much taken the position that everybody's lying to me. And so I won't accept much of anything anybody says until I prove it out for myself. But folks, the knowledge of God's word, the knowledge of God's word will put you in a position where you know who's lying to you and who's not. John wrote to the church and said, you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. Now, he didn't mean, mean you know all things so you don't have to study the Bible anymore. He's saying you've got a witness on the inside of you that tells you what's true and what's not. You've got a leading of the Holy Ghost from within your own heart, your own spirit, that tells you what's right and what's not. There's wisdom. Just as the love of God is poured, shed abroad in our heart when we're born again, there's the wisdom of God that's in our heart as well. It has to be developed just like the love of God does. But a seed is planted on the inside of you when you got born again. And that seed of God himself manifests himself in love. Well, really all the, five, all the nine fruit of the spirit. But it manifests itself on the inside of you if you'll cultivate it, if you'll work toward growing it. To provide wisdom. So that you can say what you, whether or not there's something more going on than just what you can see. And the cultivation of that wisdom should be of the highest priority for you. Proverbs says that wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, with all you're getting, get wisdom. We're going to need wisdom in these last days to be able to identify what's true and what's not. Now, God's given us the tools to find out and to identify it. But it's up to us to do something with it. I'm going to close with Haggai chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. God said, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. Now, the desire of all nations he's talking about is Jesus' return. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. So he's talking about the glory of God, the power of God, in connection with the last days. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, to whatever degree you are willing to accept that money is associated with the glory of God, here it is. God had something specific in mind when he said that. He had something specific in mind that he wanted us to believe for because that's the purpose for the word revealed to us. The only reason for God to tell us something is for us to believe what he said. So he associates the silver and gold with the glory of God in the last days. You decide for yourself what that means. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Now for, for the Holy Ghost operating through the prophet Haggai to identify or single out the peace of God. He's talking about the last days. He's talking about how these things fit together. 
and the glory of the Lord that was prophesied for the last days. And for him to identify or single out peace must mean that there's a lack of peace, an unrest that's going on in the world around us. Maybe it has to do with the shaking of all nations. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us what it's associated from or with or what is going on. But the fact that he identifies the church as a place of peace indicates to me that the church is going to be an oasis from the things that are going on around us in the world. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Folks, what you think in these last days counts for a lot. What you meditate on in these last days will make the difference between you holding steady on the word or being deceived. Because the devil never wants to reveal the truth to you. He never wants you to know the truth. But Paul, praying for the church, his prayers are all about revelation. The eyes of our understanding being enlightened. That we may know what is the hope of his calling, what God wants us to do, what he's called for us to do, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what belongs to us because we're children of God, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power that works in us as believers. Paul's prayer was that our eyes would be opened to what God's called us to do, what he's given to us through the work of Jesus, and that our eyes would be opened to the exceeding greatness of the power of God that's in us. You and I don't need one more thing than what we already have. Other than perhaps revelation and understanding and wisdom as to how to use what he's given us already. Don't pray for power. Confess power. Don't pray for wisdom. Confess wisdom. That wisdom of God's already been put on the inside of your heart. Folks, I couldn't I've never been in a time of my life where I'm more excited about God's word and his work and what's coming next. Nothing else even comes close. This is a day of glory for the church. This is a day for us to live above the circumstances of life. This is a day to be an example of what the power of God in people looks like. I say that God's going to take care of us. Look at what he's done for us already. Folks, when I think back to the things that he's brought us through, when I look around at this church building, if we hadn't built it the way that we built it, it would greatly affect what we were able to do today. There were so many things that we were being led by God in the midst of that I didn't even realize that it was the leading of Him. Proverbs says that even the accidental things are revealed to, to be the leading of God. We live that to a great degree. If we didn't have our own place, where would we meet? That's one reason why the devil fought us so hard on this building. Easy to see now. It wasn't so easy to see you back then. Look at how he's protected us. Look at how he's provided for us. I believe he's just getting started. So what do we say to these things that are going on around us? 
What do we say to the perilous times, the attempts of the enemy to reduce our strength? I say we are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I say that our shield of faith quenches all the fiery darts of the wicked. I say that no weapon formed against us shall ever prosper. So folks, lean back and rest on him. Watch where he takes us. It'll always be to a good place because he's a good heavenly father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all the wonderful things that you've done for us. We thank you, Lord, that healing is ours. We don't have to be afraid of a coronavirus or any other thing because Jesus took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses and with his stripes we are healed. We don't have to worry about not having enough. Because the silver and gold is yours, Lord. And you put it here for your people. Not for the wicked. Father, we claim peace. Knowing that you're the answer. No matter what the problem is. We speak peace over this place. We speak peace over these people. We speak the peace of God shall keep our minds steady. Rooted and grounded in the knowledge of you. Thank you, Father, for choosing us to live in these last days. You knew that we had what it takes to not only survive but to thrive in these last days. You knew that we would be a people that would use your word, stand upon your word, and claim our victory over the enemy. Father, I thank you for wisdom in its greatest possible measure in these last days that we may see and know the truth. That we would recognize the work of the enemy. But more importantly, Father, that we would do the work of God. We ask you for the rain, Lord. The moving of the Holy Ghost. In great power. To bring about the precious fruit of the earth. We thank you, Lord, for signs and wonders and miracles. Not just healing miracles, not just healing signs, but financial miracles and power of God miracles. That all the world will see and know that you're alive and that you care for your people. We ask these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus. And everybody that agrees with that, say amen. 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 Hallelujah. Well, as we normally do, or have been doing at least, we're going to have a, a short time of prayer immediately following the service. If you can stay with us, that's great. If you can't, if you need to be going then that's all right, too. We would ask that you leave by the rear doors. Folks, we love you. We pray for you. We believe for you the best that God has. Because we believe that you're the best of God even in this earth. Have a great week, folks.